Well, kids, uh, my question for you this morning uh, is this. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase that there's a new sheriff in town? Anybody ever heard that phrase? There's a new sheriff in town. Who can tell me what that phrase means? Charlie? There's a new person in your street? Could be. Could be. If that person is like the boss of the street, that could certainly be true, right? That, yeah, Jubilee. Somebody who's, who's in charge, there's a new person in charge, right? When there's a new sheriff at towns, it, it means there's a new boss, uh, there's a new set of priorities, there's a new set of rules and set of laws that everybody needs to follow, a, a new way of doing things. When a new sheriff comes to town, everything changes, right? So my next question is this. When a new sheriff comes to town, what do you think the townspeople need to do in order to get along with their new sheriff? Henry? Talk talk to him? Yeah, okay. Any, yeah, Owen? Follow his rules. I like it. All, all, all these things, right? We have to accept his or her new authority. We've got to follow their new plan. Live according to their new ways. Get on board with their new agenda. Whatever it might be, we have to accept the new authority that has come, right? My last question is this. What do you think happens to the townspeople who don't get on board with the sheriff's new plan? Prison? Prison. Prison. It could be. That's the worst case scenario, but for sure, right? Uh, they're going to have to face the sheriff one day, uh, one way or another, aren't they? And is that a meeting that they're going to want to have? No. All right. Well, kids, this is kind of what we're talking about in our sermon this morning. Except we're not talking about a new sheriff who's come to town. We're talking about a new king who brings an entirely new kingdom. And we're talking about what this kingdom means for our lives And so on your activity sheets, uh, I've got some questions uh, that I want you to try to answer that will help you follow along during the sermon. And during that time, I want you to think about what this new king who brings a new kingdom means for you. Church, who is your king? How do you know? Today is Christ the King Sunday, where we remember that Jesus is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And we celebrate that great truth today. But if you're anything like me, I know that sometimes when I when I leave this place and go out into the world and get back into my everyday life and get distracted by all of the noise that is always around me. And the noise that's so often within me. Sometimes in those moments, it's hard to remember that Christ is the King. Sometimes when we see all the pain and suffering in the world, it's hard to believe that Christ could really be the King. Sometimes when temptations stir up within us, it's hard for us To want for Christ to be the King. Because of those moments of question, of doubt, and of confusion, of conflicting desires, 
I think it's worth asking the question, who is your king? And how do you know? It's what we're talking about this morning as we look at these lectionary passages from 1 Corinthians 15 and Ezekiel chapter 34 and Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to those passages as we consider what it means for Christ to be the king. In the changing of the guard, in the changing of our goals, in the changing of our graves. Okay. Now the first point that I want to highlight is that in order for you to know that Christ is the king in your life, you have to know that there has been a changing of the guard. Or that there's a new sheriff in town. And for us to understand why that is the case, we have to first realize that Christ hasn't always been the king in this world or in our lives. And that may be a statement that sounds blasphemous to some. But the scriptures are very clear that from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, there was another king who sat upon the throne of this earth. In Romans chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul is describing the history of the world from a theological perspective, he writes that sin and death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Jesus. So from the time that death entered into the world through Adam's sin, since that time, it has ruled over every human heart. Later in Romans 6, Paul says that that we were slaves to sin and death. We were subjected to it. It controlled us. We obeyed it. The theological reality is that throughout human history, it has been sin and death and not Jesus that has reigned and, and been the original king over the earth and over every human heart. As evidence that this is true, we need only to look at the final result of everyone who's ever lived. And when we do, we see that death has always gotten the final word. It has always collected its final payment. From the time that it entered into the world, sin and death have reigned over us all. But when Jesus came into the earth, everything changed in that regard. We read about it in our New Testament lesson this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where in verse 20, Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What Paul is saying is that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, something entirely different has happened. That for the first time in human history, sin didn't corrupt a life, making it worthy of death. And for the first time in human history, death didn't get the final say, ending life in the grave. Instead, through his sinless life, Jesus overcame the powers of sin. 
And by his resurrection from the grave, Jesus conquered the power of death. By the powers of his indestructible life, the writer of Hebrews puts it, Jesus overcame the principalities of this world. It's like that famous saying from old school wrestling, right? If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Woo! Right? That's what Jesus did. By his life, he conquered death. Through his resurrection, he deposed the old king. Death, which had never been defeated before, was now defeated. And Jesus is now seated upon the throne, offering his resurrected life to all who desire. And that's what the rest of our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Look at verse 22, which says that for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Saying that just as death came through Adam's sin, and since that time has reigned over all, so now life has come through Jesus' resurrection, and now it is available to all. So just as Christ was raised from the dead as the first fruits of what is to come, Paul tells us that when Jesus returns to the earth again, that all who belong to him, all who honor him as their king, will be raised to new and resurrected life just as he was. And until that time, verse 25 tells us, Jesus will reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet The last of the enemies to be totally destroyed and done away with will be death. This is the changing of the guard that has taken place. It's the transition from life under death to life under Christ. It's the conversion from being enslaved to sin to being set free to serve your Savior. It's a complete reorientation of our entire world from death to life. And so the question for you this morning is, have you experienced a changing of the guard in your life? Have you been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's Son? Have you believed in the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over death? For if you know that Jesus rose from the grave and that he conquered sin and death, then you know that he deserves to be the king over your life. Have you acknowledged and submitted to and celebrated this change of the guard? This is the first way that you know if Christ is the king in your life. If you believe he rose from the grave and that he conquered death. If you believe that, he is the king. The second way you can know if Christ is the king in your life is if you've experienced a changing of your goals. Has the focus of your life been transformed? Here's what I mean by that. 
In our Old Testament reading this morning from Ezekiel chapter 34, that, that passage began, but prior to our reading this morning, that passage began with a condemnation on the shepherds of Israel for their selfish and their self-serving behavior. They fed themselves, but not their sheep. They provided for themselves, but not for their sheep. They protected themselves, but they didn't protect their sheep. They were only concerned about their own well-being and not the well-being of others. That's what life under the reign of sin and death is like. It makes us selfish. Primarily thinking about ourselves, caring mainly about our own comfort, being concerned first and foremost about our own security, watching out ultimately for our own interests. When we're enslaved to sin, we can't help but look inward and to protect and to preserve ourselves. And God rebukes us for this. But beginning in verse 11, in response to the bad shepherds of Israel who didn't care for the flocks, God said that he himself would be the good shepherd to his people who would take care of and look after his sheep. God said, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them from the places they've been scattered. I will gather them and bring them home. I will feed them with good pasture and provide them with clear water. I will bind up their injuries. I will strengthen the weak. It's an exact opposite of what the people were doing. Instead of self-preservation, this is self-pouring out. Instead of benefiting at the cost of the sheep, this is sacrificing for the well-being of the sheep. And isn't this ultimately what God has done for us in His Son? From the famous passage from Philippians chapter 2, we're told that even though Jesus was God, He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Jesus humbled Himself. And he gave himself away in service to us. And we're now called to be like him in that. In humility, we're to count others more significant than ourselves. And we're to look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. We're called to be like Jesus. And that's the change of goals that takes place when there's a change of the guard in our lives. When Jesus becomes our king, but we see the things that he is doing and we begin to follow him in them. When Jesus becomes our king, we we learn the things that he cares about and we begin to care about them also. When Jesus becomes our king, we, we witness the people that he focused on and we begin to focus on them as well. When Jesus is our king, as we follow him, we become like him. And there's a profound example of this in our gospel passage today from Matthew chapter 25, which describes a scene at the end of time when Jesus will return to this world and sit on his throne and separate all of the people of the earth into two different groups, those who are his subjects and those who aren't. And the only difference that's mentioned between these two groups is that one group cared for the poor and the lost and the broken and the vulnerable. 
and the other group didn't. And if you compare the passage from Matthew 25 with the passage from Ezekiel 34, the similarities are striking. In Ezekiel 34, God said, I will feed my sheep. In Matthew 25, Jesus said to his subjects that you gave food to the hungry. In Ezekiel 34, God says that he is the one who will give clear water. In Matthew 25, Jesus said to his disciples, you gave the thirsty something to drink. In Ezekiel 34, God said that I will search for my lost sheep and and seek them out. In Matthew 25, Jesus says you went to those who were in prison. In Ezekiel 34, God said I will bind up the injured. In Matthew 25, Jesus says you visited the sick. In Ezekiel 34, God said that he would gather people from a foreign land and bring them to a land of their own. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, you welcomed the stranger. It's a stunning example of how the people who have made Jesus their king are becoming like him in their values and with their actions. The changing of the guard over their lives led to a changing of the goals in their lives. They were no longer concerned primarily about themselves. Now they were concerned about others. Their lives weren't focused inward anymore. Now instead they were focused outward. And please hear me. This passage in Matthew 25 isn't advocating for like a works-based salvation. This isn't saying that if you care for the least of these, then you deserve to be a subject of the king and you get to go to heaven. It's not saying that. Instead, it's showing that if you are a subject of the king, then you will care about the least of these. This isn't about earning faith, but it is an evidence of faith. To prove that this is true, just look at the people who were commended for their actions. They didn't even know they were doing it. Right? Jesus praises them for their service to him. And the people are like, when when did we do that? (laughs) They weren't trying to perform or to earn or to impress. They were simply doing what came naturally out of their transformed heart. They were just doing what they saw their king do. Demonstrating that they were his subjects. So this is a second way that you can know whether Jesus is the king of your life. Has there been a changing of the guard that has led to the changing of your goals? Are you being changed by His Lordship over your life? The final way you can know if Jesus is the King of your life is if you know you've experienced a changing of your grave. This is the final and the most ultimate evidence In Matthew 25, we see that at the end of time, Jesus will say to those who are not his subjects, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and they will go into eternal punishment. This will be the fate of all who are the subjects of sin and death. If sin and death are your king... This will be your end. 
Let me be clear for one moment, because no one I know of would ever acknowledge that sin and death are their king. That's not what anyone would think. It's not what anyone would say. It's not even what anyone would believe. But another way to put this is that if Jesus is not your king, this will be your end. Because there are only two options. There have only ever been two sheriffs. You have to serve one or the other. So if you've never made Jesus your king and you've stuck with the old guard, this will be your reckoning on the day of judgment. But to those who have experienced a changing of the guard and who have made Jesus the king over their lives, to them, Jesus will welcome them as blessed by his father. And he will invite them into his kingdom prepared from the foundations of the world. And they will go into eternal life. So this is the final and the ultimate way you know whether or not Jesus is your king. Have you experienced a changing of your grave? Do you know that you have been delivered from death into life? Do you know that you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son? Do you know that even now, you have available to you abundant life? And that in the age to come, you will have everlasting life. For all who have experienced a changing of the guard, they know that there is a changing of their grave. And so church, on this Christ the King Sunday, this is how you can know if Christ is the King in your life. Do you know that Jesus was raised from the grave? And that by His resurrection there has been a changing of the guard over all of creation and over your life? Is your life being shaped and formed by the priorities of your new King? Creating a changing of your goals? And are you confident that when Jesus comes again in power and great glory to judge the living and the dead, that your fate will be life and not death? Have you experienced a changing of your grief? The reason these things are so important to understand, to have realities to, to hold on to and to be rooted in, is because when we encounter the evil and suffering in our world, and when we encounter the brokenness in our own lives, It's easy to question if Christ is really the king. If he's really in control of this world, why does it seem so out of control? If he's really the Lord of my life, why do I so often push him away? But in those moments, what we need to remember is that all of the pain and suffering in this world and in our lives aren't evidences against the reign of Christ, but are instead really just the evidences of the presence of a competing kingdom. It's the remnants of the reign and rule of sin and death. It's just more evidence. It's a defeated but not yet totally destroyed enemy who's still lashing out and trying to take down as many victims as they can in the short time that they have left. The lingering presence of sin and death and the chaos that they create say nothing about the reign of Christ other than the fact 
that it hasn't come in its fullness yet. But the truth of the matter about the reign and rule of Christ, about the certainty of His sanctifying work among His subjects, and of His guarantee to change our grave, right? the reality of those things are never based on how we feel or what we see going on out in the world. Instead, they are based solely on the reality of Jesus' victory over sin and death and His resurrection from the grave. If that happened, Jesus is King. If it didn't, He isn't. But don't fall prey to the momentary questioning based on circumstances or to the emotional roller coaster of our feelings within us. Live your life based on the reality which the Apostle Paul tells us that in fact, Christ has been raised from the grave. And view the world in light of that reality, knowing that despite what you may see today, one day He will put all of His enemies under His feet. Church, there is a day coming when Jesus will be seated on the throne of heaven and the earth, far above all rule and all authority, And power and dominion and above every name that is named. With all of his enemies under his feet. And all things put in subjection to him. With every knee bowed before him. And every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This reign has already begun in the heavenly realms. And has already come among us in part. And one day Jesus will come again. In great power and great glory. To bring the fullness of his kingdom here to earth. So that the dwelling place of God will once again be with man. And there will be no more death. And no more mourning. And no more crying. And no more pain. And no more suffering of any kind anymore. For those things will have all passed away. This is where history is headed. With Christ as the king over all. He shall reign forever and ever. May we be ready to welcome our King for God's glory and for our good. Amen.